Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Mike Boris and this is Straight Talk. Harry Garside, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Mate, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, well, well, first and foremost, uh, congratulations. I mean, I think, you know, I want to say thanks for doing us proud. I mean, I and I, not just in the Olympics. Um, it's been a long time since we've had a, a medal in the Olympics in boxing. Um, but also just go back to 2000, I think it was 18, when the Com Games were on, gold medal. Uh, and also thanks for putting a good light on boxing as a good young young bloke, I mean, you're doing good shit. Like you, you, you come across really well. I, if I go back a long time, 40 years, and uh, boxing was a bad boy's game. Um, today, you're a good example. And there's a lot of, lot of you. You know, Tim Zhu is another good example. George Kambos is another example. You know, Brock Jarvis. Boxing is not just for the bad boys or girls. It's, it's a sport, a proper sport. Yeah, I think, you I mean, credit, thank you so much for the kind words, but I think a massive credit of that is there's numerous people who have formed that as well. My boxing coach, Brian Mavia, um, he's 79 years old this year. He fought Johnny Famichon, Lionel Rose, wow. a veteran of the sport. Obviously, my parents are two of the best role models that I could have asked for, but I come from a bit of a smaller smaller town in the outskirts of the Melbourne suburbs called Lillardale. And and what I saw in my gym growing up was just, like so many young people coming from broken homes. Um, you know, it was a low socioeconomic area. And it just gave young people a home. And I think I think just seeing that and the humility in that, um, always just try my best. My parents have instilled just always try your best to show manners, show respect for yourself and to other people. And I see so many good people in the boxing world. And I think it gets tarnished with this bad name that often yeah. I think maybe that was from the seventies and eighties, as you mentioned. Yeah. Maybe because there was hooligans in it potentially. I don't know. I wasn't around that at that time. But I see so many good people in the boxing world, and it's heartbreaking that you mean it doesn't have much of a good name. And um, I'm just one of many. You might think that yeah, I've painted a good light on boxing, but Caitlin Parker, Sky Nicholson, they went to Olympics with me. Awesome representatives for the sport, and the Maloney twins are doing really yeah, well overseas. Totally. There's so many in this sport that are doing fantastic, and. I'm really excited to sort of see what the next sort of 20, 30, 40 years of boxing uh, is going to look like in Australia. Why do you think it's changed? Because, I mean, I don't know if it's really changed in America, to be honest with you, like uh, in the US. Because you still get a lot of your Mexicans, you know, they, they come out of these 
as you said earlier, low socioeconomic areas where the only way forward was, uh, you know, do your best as a as a sports person. And with it came a lot of shit, and, you know, gambling, mm. to be honest, fixes, all sorts of things. But now the low socioeconomic areas still produce fighters and sports people, um, but they're producing a better quality person. And I wonder whether or not the low socioeconomic environments actually are, are producing more rounded people who come from maybe more rounded parents. A hundred percent. I think for me personally, my upbringing was a little bit strange. My mum is a medium, so my mum talks to dead people. A medium as in talks a, to dead a psychic? Psych, yeah, 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 yeah. So talks Serious? to dead people. Yeah, it's pretty hectic. <laughs> pretty full Like as a job? Uh, she does that like as a hobby, but she, she gets like, paid for it and stuff yeah. like that. And um, she, she also has another job, um, but she's just really passionate about it, um, loves helping people. Has she always been that? So she's been, she's always been into tarot cards and all these witchy stuff, um, like crystals and, yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Growing up, so seeing that, mum was always a little bit strange and unusual, and I saw that, and I was really as interested. a kid, yeah, and I was like, what is going on? And then I think about 30, 35, 40, then she started breaking into the spirit world and, and mediumship, and now my mum's fifty two, um, and yeah, she she does it. Like often and okay, let's just have a look at this for a second. <laughs> I mean, I, I sort of did read something about this one stage, but um, if if you don't mind, mm. um, Lilydale is it, what is that's known for something or other. I've seen Lilydale. free range free range chicken. It's free range. Chicken. <laughs> that, it's, that's the joint, is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's a sort of a semi agricultural yeah. area. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Some parts of Victoria where Lilydale is, and now a lot of those people moved up to the Gold Coast. To be honest with you, um, <laughs> but they do have psychics. A lot of people in psychics, and, and as you say. Mm. Um, Mediums, but a lot of those sort of unusual areas in Victoria do have a lot of unusual stuff, as you said, crystals and blah blah blah. What is it like as a kid to be growing up to know your mum is a bit different to everybody else? Like she's not out there collecting eggs, like <laughs> as a farmer or whatever. What, what, what's that like? It was it was interesting. I think um, like seeing that. And my dad is a roof tiler, so like great wow. mix, great yeah. mix. And I think. That is, in a sense, as you were mentioning before, well-rounded, like very well-rounded. Dad's very old-fashioned, has hard work, grit, structure, um, wakes up every morning, like really rigid in his approach to life. And and then my mum's a lot more flowy and like into some weird and wonderful things. And um, it was very strange growing up. And the, the older I've got, I didn't wasn't really aware growing up, but the older I've got, the more that I've just appreciated that I've had two of like almost polar opposite role models, um, but they complement each other really well in lo- in like life and love. So, parents are still together. Yeah, yeah, still That's together. Cool. Yeah, so I'm very, very blessed. Um, and growing up, of course, every every couple has Barneys and stuff like that. Yeah, they yeah. weren't perfect, but I think they've learned to love each other more, and they probably love each other more now than what they did when I was growing up. So it, it's great to see, and they've almost set this, <laughs> this pretty high bar of what love is. Um, of like kind of seems a bit unachievable, but. They're all, it's just them, them two against the world. And they, they're, they're really infatuated with each other. They've always got each other's backs. They love each other for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and I think love, in a sense, I personally think has changed um, over the last 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. So, you I mean, you see the loves back in the, in the 40s and 50s war times. You, mean, you see photos of people like next to a boat, the couples leave you saying goodbye to their, their partner as they go to war. You see love now on Instagram and stuff like that. It's just a little bit different, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you mean know, I have optimism and and I've met this perfect girl. Um, so it's early days, but fingers crossed it goes somewhere and it, it seems promising. But 
yeah, parents have definitely set this bar of what love is and, and I've kind of got to meet that or else I'll feel a bit unfulfilled, I think. That's, that's quite an interesting thing for a – how old are you now, Harry? 24. 24. So that's quite an interesting thing for a, a young man to say in your age bracket to actually compliment their parents as to the standard by which their parents live their the love part of their life as a something they'd like to achieve is sort of pretty cool too. I mean, it's not something you expect to come out of a kid who just come back from the Olympics with a bronze medal. Um, and, you know, I, I find that it's actually quite endearing. And it's like, to be honest with you, it's a, it sounds a bit silly, but it's great for your brand, mate. Oh, yeah, thank you. I, th- I think the biggest thing for me and what I've realised, I'm on this massive journey as we all are, um, I'm just trying to understand myself. Like yeah. I think – the more I'm, the more I'm pushing myself. The more that I'm doing different things. The more that I'm getting out of my comfort zone and my environment. The more that I'm finding out about myself, and um, I find it just very interesting. I'm just chasing, I'm chasing happiness yeah. to be honest. And and happiness, of course, is does come from from medals and success in boxing for sure. But happiness also comes from how I feel about myself internally. And um, you know, and I think happiness for me is is, is going to be different to happiness to someone else. And I'm just chasing that feeling of. That's why I do boxing. I do it because it makes me happy. I do it because of the feeling it gives me. Success is just a bonus. Um, and, and of course, I'm ambitious. I've got such – I want to prove myself and to myself, but I, I've got so much hunger and determination, but it's, it's just because I'm chasing happiness. Yeah. And I want to be happy every day. I want to – of course, you're going to have bad days. It's understandable. But, um, yeah, that's why I think I'm doing boxing. Do you think your mum's has been that person who's chased happiness too? Like do you think – that she's done something similar? Of course, absolutely. She's very weird and wonderful. Um, so, yeah, I'm, as, I said, as I mentioned, man, I'm just very grateful to have like two great role models in my life. And, of course, you have so many other role models growing up, but they were definitely the two most pivotal. And, yeah, they've raised three really, really good boys who have good morals and you mean, good core values. Where do you sit in the, the pecking order of the family? Like you're the youngest? You're the youngest, aren't you? I'm the youngest, so, yeah. yeah. So growing up as the youngest kid in the family, I mean, I got four sons. The youngest boy is uh, like I'm. I was harder on my earlier boys, but the time I got to the fourth one, like I was exhausted. I just <laughs> didn't give a shit. And to some extent, the, the, his brothers would say he's sort of spoiled. Um, not spoiled, but you know, what I mean, like mm. uh, yeah, I dote on him a little bit more. And, I can affirm uh, that that happened yeah, in my family yeah. too. Yeah, well, how does that then translate into you jumping in the ring fight and tough bars like you fought? You know, the Cuban, for example. Mm. <laughs> I mean, these guys would lead different lives to us. Um, how does that translate into the ring? I mean, and are you aware of that? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I think so. My oldest brother, of course, he was, this sounds bad, the hamster child, as every first child almost is. I mean, no parent really knows what they're doing. My parents tried the best they, you know, what I mean? they, they did the best they, they could with what they knew. And yeah, he's got his own problems and he's he's doing his own things. But yeah, definitely being the youngest, I definitely got away with a lot more. I, I mean, I was able to go out partying when I was 12, 13. My brother couldn't like drink until he was 16, 17, 18. So it was just, it was different. I had a different upbringing to my two, two other brothers. But I think why I have hunger and why I have like this inner flame, I almost feel like I've got a lot to prove. So my two older brothers are really blokey and really manly. And and like my dad. What do you mean by blokey? Yeah, so just like I come from a smaller town and, and just a stereotypical male. So always fighting on the footy field, yep. always fighting with each other, always playing out the back in the, in the shed with dad and, and, and just always doing the bloke stuff, like the stereotypical bloke stuff. And, and I was nothing like them growing up. Um, I was more inclined to do what my mum was doing or like I'd be inside like the mum. I don't want to go outside with my brothers. So 
And I think because of that, I didn't get any respect from from, from my them. brother from them or even my dad at times. He was just like, "Geez." My dad almost said to me, and and I'm, not, I'm I mean, I couldn't care less what you are, but. My dad said to me when when I was 16, he's like, I was preparing for you to come out of the closet like your whole life. Yeah, yeah. Um, he and said that to you? He said that to me, yeah, when I was 16. And I, and I was just like, oh, like <laughs> I'm like, I'm straight. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just in touch with a lot more of my feminine energy and, and, and what my mum's doing. I think because of that, because I didn't get much respect from the males in my life, I felt like I had to prove something. And I still kind of feel like I've got to prove something as well. When you were a young boy, like less than 10, you decided to take up boxing. Were your brothers boxing? No. Was, yeah. Did your dad box? No, we just watched so many Rocky films, which is yeah. fantastic. Well, you're inspired, you're you got inspired to do boxing because you watched Rocky? Yeah. I've got, watched so many Rocky films and, and as I mentioned, I think I just had something to prove. My brothers are always fighting with each other and, and they're always fighting at school, always getting in trouble, always just like doing like dumb stuff. And I think I initially started it because I'm like, oh my God, I just want to do something different. And looking back now, you don't know, you're not conscious enough when you're nine years old, but looking back now, I think that was the first time that I pushed myself out of my comfort zone. And then getting in the ring for the first time, a guy who, like a little boy who was like a little bit scared and, and getting in the ring for the first time and overcoming that. And then the feeling after and the growth after that. And that's why I think I'm on this just crazy journey of always trying to push myself, push my boundaries, doing something different. Um, I think that was the first moment where I pushed myself out of my comfort zone and then felt the rewards almost instant. Do you think that um, when you say that you push yourself or you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone is another way of saying I had an insecurity and I had to deal with my insecurity in some way? Of course, absolutely. And I think- Were you conscious of that though? No, not at that age. Um, definitely looking back now, that's a really good way of putting it. I've never fully thought about it that way, but it's- it's naturally, I think we do that as humans. It's all we're we all just, do, but we're right? just in survival. We all have our own insecurities. Everyone's oh, be different. I mean, like the fact that your brothers were fighting at school is, it could have been something to do with their insecurity too. By the way, yeah, of course, their own insecurity. Yeah, you know, I mean, fighting is a lot to be about that. It's about, yeah, it's about dealing with that's your insecurity. You well, look at Tyson Fury. Like mm. he had to come back from being a fat bastard and like a drug addict and alcoholic and every other thing in the mm. world. Probably a shock and probably unhappy with himself. And he's got to where he's got to. That's about proving. Dealing with your insecurities. Of course. The fact that he was a drink and doing drugs is probably because he's insecure. All of us have insecurities. I don't give a shit who you are. Um, and we do things to manage that. Do you think that was in your case and still is? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I've got, I've realized this and I was honestly thinking this as I was driving here. Um, I don't know why I was thinking about the Olympic Village and no disrespect to any of the athletes. I love, I love being part of that team and I'm guilty of it too. I have more insecurities in, like, than anyone I feel. And I just felt at the Olympics, I could feel. I feel most high achievers and most high performance environments, like the successful people, are the ones with the most insecurities or the most stuff to prove or the most, the most. That's what has grit. That's what has hunger. Like you got to, you got to get it from somewhere. Um, and I think when I was at the Olympic Village, I just remember thinking like, there's just a lot of insecure little people here in the sense of like, like young young girls or young boys who haven't had those those love or needs met, and I'm one of them. You know what I mean? That's why I'm chasing the Olympic glory or validation or external happiness so much because of these that there's insecurities in a sense. Yes, it's very interesting that uh, yeah, it's. It, I mean, I, I mean, um, Tim Zoo is a good example. Um, like he's grown up in the with his father has been Costa Zoo, and to some extent, it probably has. And I don't want to. And I, I love the guy; he's awesome. Mm. But 
but to some extent, you got to have you got something to prove because you feel as though I'm, maybe I'm looked at as not as being as good as my father. And I'm Tim Zoo. He's Costa Zoo. I mean, I've heard Tim say that many, many times over. And it doesn't really matter if that motivates you and drives you. Mm. It means fuck all. I mean, I often say about how important paranoia is to be successful in business. You've got to have a level of paranoia. Yeah, absolutely. You've just got to have it. You've got to also have a letter, a level of um, obsessive compulsive behavior. In other words, you've got to be obsessive in the way you prepare for business, just like you have to be obsessive in the way you prepare mm. for training. Yeah. I know Fennec's a great mate of mine. Jeff is um, every one of those things and more. Mm which allowed him to train to a point where he was one of the fittest fighters that ever fought. He may, you know, his skill was good, but his fitness and his endurance was, and his legs were better than everything else. And he always just was fitter than his opponent. And, you know, as you know, if you've got good legs, you know, you get hit, you, you'll stand up, you'll stay longer. Mm. But what drove him? He's like part mad. Like Jeff would know he'll yeah. be okay if I say it, but he's part crazy. You have to have it. And that's yeah, and the reality is you have to have it. And he has every insecurity in the world, um, but deals with it, manages it, and yeah. he still lives his life like a normal person. And I actually think that anyone in business who's – you're in the business of boxing right now and other things, but that's your, your mm. financial business. Um, you've got to be as successful as you are, I think. You've got to have these insecurities and whatever they are and – but you've got to be able to manage them. Mm, of course. That's the biggest thing. And I think looking looking at my life, like me and my oldest brother, his name is Josh, and you know, I love him to bits. He is going through his own struggles with mental health and, and drug addiction and in and out of jail. And, and me and him have such similar personality traits. Um, like I obsess about things, um, have a lot of insecurities as we all do. Um, very similar with our personality traits. And, and, and for me, I think the difference between me and him is I've learned how to control my insecurities or my, my, my demons. And I think he is having more trouble um, with, with controlling his. And that's why he's sort of you know, going down the different path. And I think as well, there's an element of I'm so, I'm the luckiest, luckiest guy on earth. I found my passion when I was nine. I found something that I was really passionate about, something that I genuinely love, something that makes me really happy. He didn't have that opportunity where he didn't find something that made him really happy or made him really passionate. Um, so I, that just shows, but that's what goes to show when someone controls their demons and someone do, who doesn't control their demons, the difference. Would you say about your, your brother, and I don't want to sort of put him in the, in the spotlight because you know, I wish him the best, but would you say that maybe one of the differences between you and him is that you actually are able to talk about these insecurities openly, mm. whereas he may be not, um, maybe doesn't even want to admit it, but at least he may not want to talk about it. But do you think by being able to talk about it and be accepting of it, that actually helps you control it? Oh, of course, absolutely. And I think like looking back on my life, being the youngest, that does play a role. Like he was the first child and, and my dad is very old-fashioned, has some really good values, but also has some values that are a bit old-fashioned. And, and Doesn't admit defeat, doesn't, doesn't yeah, weakness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, don't, no, no male shows emotion and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Bottle a lot of things up. And, and I think that was instilled in Josh a lot more than it was instilled in me. Or I rebelled against it a bit more in the sense of like, as I mentioned, I was more closer to my mum. So because of that, my brother is he's struggling to admit that he's got problems. He's struggling to talk about them um, because that's what he feels like a man's supposed to do when, when realistically it's okay. Like it's okay to say you're not, you're not okay. And, it's okay to talk about it and, and no one's going to shame you. The only way you're really going to ever get through anything is if you navigate through them. And that's why I much prefer just talking. Um, I've realized I did this 50-hour no talking challenge. I couldn't yeah. talk for 50 hours. It was really tough. 
And what I realized in that 50 hours was how much of an energy out, output or release my talking is and how powerful talking is and, and I, how I almost felt like I was going to implode because I, and about the 30-hour mark when I was uh, doing no talking because it made me realize, like, imagine people who, who generally feel like they can't talk to anyone, they have no one to talk to, they would honestly feel like they're going to implode every day. And it gave me a lot more empathy for, for people who are struggling and my brother as well gave me a bit more empathy because he feels like he has no one to talk to or he can't talk more so. I didn't expect to have this conversation. I didn't expect to go here. But like, <laughs> um, it's very interesting what you say about what would appear to be a problem for someone like your brother, doesn't matter who it is, mm. that they would say, they would be sitting there saying, oh, you're looking down on me because of my addiction or you're looking down on me because I you know, get myself in trouble, et cetera. When in actual fact, that's not your problem. The problem that you might take drugs, you might drink too much or you, know, you might react a certain way in certain circumstances, it's not the reaction that's a problem. It's not the action that's a problem. It's the thing that causes you to do these things. The real problem that people like that have is some other thing deep down inside them that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. We're always very quick to moralize about what someone did. What we rarely do is think about, well, I wonder what's causing that person to do that. Now, that doesn't mean you know, I'm going to uh, um, condone a serial killer. Or a, yeah. But sometimes we, people make mistakes, particularly young people, and we've got to look beyond that and find out what it is that motivated them or caused them to do that and what is it they don't realize about themselves. And how can we help them, not rehabilitate, but more how can we help them understand what it is about themselves so they can become really conscious of it, aware of it, and you said the word empathy. The first place empathy starts is with ourself, mm. uh, understanding what is it that makes me do shit and uh, how can I use that to make me really good at th other things I do as opposed to how do I let it control me. So how do I sort of step back from it, know that I, I'm a compulsive person, in my case, obsessive with stuff and business, know when to turn that on, when to turn it off because, you know, otherwise it, it will control your life. When it comes to, let's say, for example, let's say you were going to fight in um, 12 weeks now, whatever that is, December, let's say, and um, you get on your 12-week training program, you're always fit, but you get on your, your prep, you know, your weight, everything else, you know, nutrition, you know, all your skills, your sparring, everything. Are you in a position to turn on that obsession? Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I've got the attitude and I've realized that it's a blessing and a curse. I'm all in or not in it at all. It serves, it serves me for sure because you need to be able to turn on and off for sure. And I'm the type of person, once I'm all in on something, like I'm like that in relationships sometimes a little bit too full on and sometimes for people that's a bit too much or in boxing, like once I'm in, I'm all in and there's like, it's like tunnel vision, nothing else matters. All my problems, all family stuff. I mean, that hey, I'll figure that out when I'm when this is done. You know, I mean? and I and I, lo and I love that I That's have business. that. How you got to be in business, mate? I love that. So okay, take me back. Uh, let's forget about December. Let's take me back to pre Olympics, which Olympics were, were in August, weren't they? Mm. This year, within yeah, August? July, August, yeah. yeah. So you're, you know, getting ready for that that event. You know, you always fit, you always train, and lots of stuff. But like, what do you you talking about? Sixteen week, four months, three months. Yeah, so this is a long prep. So I found I actually I had a weird finding out of how I made the Olympics, but I found out in February. And then we I left Melbourne, my family to go to the Gold Coast in March, early March. So from March to July, end of July, when the Olympics started, it was just all in. Um, and I was doing everything, everything I possibly could. Like I failed to make the Olympics five times, and I wasn't letting this one slip. I wasn't letting this opportunity slip. And 
it's obsession as we keep talking about. It's just an obsession. And the thing is, the reality is like, I know you only probably get, I might potentially go to the next ones. I'm not sure, but you only really get one opportunity and that's the way I was looking at it. So from once I got to the Gold Coast, like that was it. You mean there was going to bed at nine o'clock, you mean waking up at 5.30, doing my pre, pre-morning routines and then I have a nighttime routine. So the pre-morning routine would, would consist of waking up, meditate, Go yep. to meditation like on an app or did you have- I mix it up, but I usually do silent to be honest. Um, right. So I mix it up. Sometimes when I feel like I'm losing the art of meditation, I, I do a couple of guided ones just to get a bit more yep. of an understanding. Waking up app is a really good one, um, but silent usually. Because how someone explained it to me was like your brain and your thoughts are like an email bank. And if you don't view them, they're just going to store up, store up, store up. So by meditation, the thought will arise. And once you notice that thought, it kind of it empties your inbox that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. So how long do you meditate? 20 for? minutes is usually my- And point. is your meditation more a mindfulness one or one about, uh, or is it more about, um, uh, what I mean by mindfulness, um, thinking about gratitude or something along those lines, or is it more a honing in on something like a, a sound or a word or a, you know- a, a, Something, yeah. Yeah. Which one is it? Like, Yeah. So for me, it's like once I, I'll just sit in silence and once I notice a thought, I'll always just be scanning my body, trying to listen to my breath. And once I once I notice a thought, I just notice it and then look at it. And usually just by paying attention to it, it goes away, which yeah. is quite refreshing. And then I just bring myself back to my breath. So, yeah, so you don't let, you don't have lots of noise in your head. You don't have you yeah. know, like you're not you're not sitting there distracted. Yeah. And some and obviously day by day, some some days yeah. are a lot harder than other days. Yeah. And some days you're making up some wild stories in your mind or um, if that makes sense. And and I know the week before a comp, it was really tough to meditate, but I needed to do it. I really needed to That's do it. That's when you need to do it. Yeah, of course. But going back to the prep, yeah, so wake up in the morning, meditate. Um, and I'd always you know, drink, try and drink some water before my first session. I think we need to explain water uh, or fluids. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. hydration's like, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean I've, I'm a big believer in hydration just generally, but like especially for sport, but particularly for boxing. Um, you know, like you into the science of hydration, mm. you know, you, you follow the science of hydration. Do you uh, listen to, um, you know, uh, do you listen to Geordie Solomon and those guys? That, I, yeah, uh, I don't actually. I think for me, like what I noticed when I was younger and trying to make weight, obviously boxing is a making weight sport and trying to make weight in boxing, you cut, I cut out fluid because I was so uneducated in that area. And yeah. the older I've got, the more that I've realized, or the more experience more so that I've got, the more that I've realized how important hydration is. Mm. Your brain is the last thing to hydrate and these are the things we're getting hit. Our brains are getting hit and our brain's in water. It's not supposed to get hit. So um, I think for me, the, the three non-negotiables for me during a prep is good food. My body is a Lamborghini. I'm going to put the best fuel possible in a Lamborghini. Staying hydrated until the last week when if I need to, if I've done everything right, you don't usually need to, but staying hydrated until that last week if I need to pull out water and then as well getting eight, nine, ten hours of sleep. Rest. Rest, yeah. Re- re- yeah. Good quality rest. Good, Recovery. Yeah, yeah. B- yeah. Both- for brain and what would you walk around at? So I'd fight at 63 and my optimal training weight during the prep was just over 67. And yeah. then as, as the fight come closer. It's not too bad to yeah. drop too much. Yeah. You're not I'm dropping too much. Yeah. yeah. I'm always really lean, not going to lie. So the last sort of kilo would be fluid for sure, but I would feel I'd be able to replenish that really quickly and I'd only take it out the night before. That's it. And, you, and, and, and the Olympics, uh, in the amateurs, they – I don't know, no, but – you, unlike the pros, you weigh in the night. Pros weigh in the night before. You got thirty odd hours to recover. But mm-hmm. amateurs used to weigh in every day. Every day we fight. Yeah, yeah. So you can't. You can't really f- cheat. It's no. not cheat, but you know, I mean, you can't. You can't play around with things. Yeah. 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 So uh, you, you see, so you still weigh in every day. 
Yeah. So basically, you've actually got to get to that weight. Yeah. Pretty so much. Amateurs, I think it's it takes you can't really push it too far your weight, and I think some people push the amateur weight cuts way too far, and then you by the second fight they're exhausted. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So. Totally. Yeah, I think for me, sitting around 63 was really manageable. Yeah, yeah. I think if I was to turn pro, I'd be able to go a bit lower because you have that 30 hours, as you yeah, mentioned. Yeah. But for the amateurs, 63 was really helpful. Um, so I, I felt I felt good. And, and each day after my weigh-in, I'd hydrate and I'd, I'd feel like I had a lot of energy, which was nice. And I didn't pull too – because I didn't pull too much from my body because I did everything right in that preparation. The weight was gradually coming down. The food intake was gradually coming down. Um, I was really honing in on making sure everything was right. This is the biggest event that I've trained for since I was seven, nine, or how you know I started boxing at nine, but the dream started at seven. And you mean like it was just honing on and making sure everything was correct. Yeah, so one shot. But it's all about one event, Mm -hmm. and you know, like you said, you just went from whatever March, February, March, right through to July, August, August, um, when the event was on. That that's a long time to discipline. Or stay within the discipline of food, water, sleep, meditation, uh, not seeing your mates, not hanging out, not drinking, like whatever. Um, and you have all the temptations coming past you, left, right, and center. All, all of them. <laughs> but you've got to keep your mind set on, on an event. Um, what do you do when distractions come your way? I think, obviously, it's hard at the start. So, what I notice is at the start of the prep, it's like that's almost it's almost like when you start seeing a girl for the first I don't know if it's the same for you, mate, but you start seeing a girl and and then all these distractions come, all these other girls come out of the woodwork. You're thinking this the, the time. Yeah, yeah, you're thinking and this this usually happens in a preparation too. You feel the distractions more. But I think what I did, you just really need to sort of tough out those first two, three weeks. And what I noticed when because I was doing things like cold showers, I wouldn't have a hot shower, um, no ejaculating, sorry for your listeners. Um for the whole period. For the, yeah, so was, I did about 60 days all up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so two months prior. Um, so all these things and meditating every day, reading a chapter of a book every day, all these things I committed to. And each day that I committed to them and didn't turn my back on myself, I felt stronger and stronger and stronger. And the distractions or the things that would come up um, trying to pull me to the other way, I'd be out of, I'm, I'm too strong for this now. But the first two weeks, the first two, three weeks of getting into a habit, getting into a routine, they were tough, of course. But each day I just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And then the, the distractions felt a lot less uh, noisy. Do you think sure. you actually get stronger or you're just convinced that you're stronger? Yeah, probably convinced. But I think I think it's just your mindset. You feel I felt honestly felt like going into the Olympics, I was like unstoppable. You were ready. Yeah, I absolutely I couldn't I couldn't throw my I've got a hand injury. I couldn't throw my hand for three months prior to the Olympics. So that was playing on my mind. So I almost because of that, like I had to make sure I was doing everything right or else I wasn't gonna be prepared. I couldn't use one of my hands in, in most of my 90% of my preparation. So and it's your left. It's my left, the most Which important one. Yeah, yeah, you have a money yeah. punch. So yeah, it, like and that is what it is. You mean you just gotta to learn to adapt and pivot and and be able to just Yeah, you know, it's funny I went because I watched I watched I watched watched you in all your fights, um, when the Olympics were on. And uh now I think about it, you were you were throwing your right a lot, you're jabbing a lot yeah. and uh and you're moving out in and out a lot. Yeah. Which is an amateur style of that is Amateur style. Jousting, yeah. yeah. It's jousting. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way of putting it. And, uh, and I kept thinking to myself, you're not following through that much with the, you know, with your, your money punch. And, yeah. Uh, and maybe that, is that the reason why? Yeah. So I, we, I know, I saw you said it's not an excuse. I get no, that. no, no, no. Yeah, that Andy Cruz was just yeah, too yeah, good yeah, for me. Yeah, but yeah. say, I think it's more so I, the last, 
month of the preparation, I was able to throw it. So I had, it's not like I didn't have right. some of the prep, I was able to throw it. Um, so it didn't affect me whatsoever. And I think just more so the thing that it just didn't have as much accuracy. Yeah. I didn't have those, you know, this was throwing nonstop and I was really working. This is really strong, almost overusing a little bit too much. But like, I think I just didn't have the accuracy because I didn't have those months in yeah. advance able to throw yeah. it. Didn't have the muscle memory. Just go back to your routine a little bit. So you get up at 5.30 morning, you do your meditation. What- when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What's next? So water as well. Water, drink your water. Yeah. Drink of water, yeah. run? So then I would also as well uh, look in the mirror. So positive affirmations are a massive one for me. So in the morning, I would always wake up and say, I am enough. I'm an Olympic gold medalist. I'm worthy of love. Um, similar to some of my insecurities, probably my biggest insecurities, I didn't feel enough or I didn't feel good enough. So, but How many phrases or uh, um, affirmations think, were you making? I think there was about five. five right. And then the Olympic gold medalist, I would say you mean five to ten times right. in the morning. And I had this... <laughs> Had a fake Olympic gold medal um, that I purchased off eBay, and I, you know, put that on every morning, and I'd visualize myself, you know, in, in that. So, visualization, and then I'd get ready for for my training session. So, right. five thirty, and then I'd leave for at six thirty for cardio in the morning, whether that be running, uh, rower, bike, or swimming. Um, mostly running. Boxers love their running, and then I'd go back, try and nap, and relax, have breakfast, of course, and then at eleven o'clock we'd have strength and conditioning, whether that be weights, lifting, heavy. Or a conditioning circuit. Then lunchtime, um, I'd always try my best in that time to listen to a podcast, audio book. That's where I do my reading. I'd always try my best to sit outside as well. I love vitamin D. And then four o'clock would be boxing. And then I'd go home and have nighttime routine as well. Yeah. And in terms of uh, food intake, I mean. I cook myself. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I'm not the greatest cook. I'll admit that. I keep it very basic. And I think. What I've learned about myself, I'm a basic human. I can live off nothing. Um, so I live off. But mostly in my preparation for food, it would be kangaroo, tuna, chicken. They're my three meats that I really like. Um, and then I'd have uh, what's called veggies. I love my veggies. Not a big fan of salad. I love my veggies. And then it would be rice or sweet potato. So real basic. Um, and, I, and I love it. It really really felt like it, it, it fueled me well and I felt really prepared for most of my sessions. And you're a good sleeper, naturally. Yeah. yeah. yeah so you're lucky. That, yeah. that 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 is a blessing, by the way. Yeah, I know my, my partner isn't the greatest sleeper, and I'm out. She's like, "Did you hear the fights last? Like, we live on a pretty busy street in Bondi, right. and um, I'm like, I don't know what you talk about. Or like the rain down yeah, 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 the rain last night. Apparently, apparently the rain was heavy as last yeah, night. Yeah, it was. Didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. <laughs> well, that that's a blessing if you can rest. I mean, because I I say this to people in business too. You know, everyone thinks it's about me that I that I get you know, I live on four hours sleep a night. No, no, <laughs> I get like a good six hours rest. Mm. 
I'm like, I might, that'll do me. I mean, I, and I'm older though. Like when I was younger, I needed eight, like six hours. But you've got you to get a, a good rest, mm. like a good restful period. Yeah. I mean, I find I sleep better if I take melatonin. So I, that helps me stay asleep. Um, and, I, and I have prescription uh, quality of melatonin. And I, I don't like sleeping. That, that works for me. But I know how important it is to get a good rest. Mm. And whether you're in business, in the business of boxing, in the business of what I do, if you don't have a good rest, you're going to cook yourself. It's just and, clarity of mind. Yeah, like, your mind's clearer. Yeah. And, then, and if your mind's not clear, I mean, you know, you're a fighter, but you've got to be stra- strategizing before you get in the fight and then you've got to be tactical when you're in the fight. So mm. you've got to be watching what the dude's doing. I don't give a shit how much you prepare. <laughs> I mean, you can prepare. You've got to prepare. But when you get in there, Play different. it's different. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden you think, fuck, that, that, that he's quicker or moves better or he keeps moving outside, whatever. I can't get outside him. You know, I can't get around him. There's a left hand. I can't get on to. So then you start, start being tactical mm. and your brain has to be really clear. By the way, you're getting hit in the head too. And your cortisol's up because you're in stress and fight and flight mode. Fight you've got to try flight, and yeah. control that fight and flight mode. So how important to you is your meditation process that you've been doing to allow you to control the chemistry within your own body when you're in that in the ring? Yeah, I think it's super important. And I think what I realized about myself, some people, some athletes are different. Some people are emotional athletes where it works for them. You yeah. know, they, they need that emotion to be able to make good decisions. Yeah. I'm the complete opposite. I need to almost take myself out of it and and just box. And I, and what I realized in my last fight against Andy Cruz, where he punched the shit out of me, <laughs> what I realized against him, he wasn't thinking. He was just letting it happen. And and I think for me, I was almost overthinking my tactics. I knew that he was it was David versus Goliath in that fight, and I knew that going into it. And my coach was giving me a lot of tactics going in, and I was thinking way too much, and I was already two steps behind him. I think. The best athletes in the world, Tom Brady, Kelly Slater, Serena Williams, um, the best athletes in the world are the ones who are just letting things happen. And it comes from hours and years of preparation and and time put into one thing and, and just believing in yourself, believing in your ability. And I think when I'm in that ring, especially in that last fight, the belief wasn't there deep down from, for me that I was capable of beating him. And it breaks my heart to say that out loud, but- like if I'm just honest, I'm very honest, yeah, yeah. and and, and um, I think yeah, the biggest thing when you're in the ring though, is just just being able to get in there, trust in your ability, know that you've done everything in your, in your preparation to be ready for that moment, and then you're able to make better decisions more quicker as well. That's interesting you say that about Cruz. Um, in business, um, you know, t- to be honest with you, we can't sort of let the emotions get control of us, just generally speaking, um, and. To be frank with you, we can plan. We can have the world's greatest plan. But at the same time, we've got to be in there just prepared to watch what happens as it happens. I mean, COVID is a great example for a lot of business people. But, you know, you can't overthink it because if you overthink it, you won't end up doing something. You sort of get paralyzed with the whole process. And as a, and I've always said, look, one of the greatest things about boxing is you actually, it is like business to me. I mean, you're either got to cop the punches. Sometimes you've got to, you actually got to cop them. Sometimes you've got to move away from them and not throw punches. You just get out of the fucking way. Well, other times you just got to fight for your life, throw as many punches as you can. But occasionally you've got to just cop them, but you've got to go with it. And, and, uh, and it's interesting you just said to me that um, these really well-prepared fighters like Cruz, who probably been out longer than you, um, and that's all they do, by mm-hmm. the way, 
in their environments. A um, bit like good business people, mate. They just roll with it, and they're and they're ready to go at any time, like in in the event, in, in during the fight. So, do you think what did you learn about yourself as a person, as a person in the business of fighting, being a boxer? What did you learn about yourself as a result of the Olympics, and maybe and, and as a result of being up there against blokes like yours? Numerous things, like. I think the biggest thing though is is like I've got to have a bit more belief in myself, and I even think it comes from that inferiority complex. Like, like the reason why I'm chasing boxing so hard is because I never felt enough growing up, or I didn't feel good enough. And it's like almost even when I got there, I can you can say things out loud, and you can and you can say things to yourself in a mirror, like I was doing every morning. Whether you truly believe them deep down is a different question. And I think I was almost just trying to force myself to believe it, and and it's like. I knew that I was capable of winning a medal. I don't know if I was really capable of, if I really thought that I could win a gold medal. I knew there was Cruz, Keyshawn Davis, the American is really good, a few other fighters who were capable of winning medals too. But I think what I learned is, is from the Olympic experience is I am supposed to be there. I am capable of beating Cruz. An interesting thing you say because I have this thing called a playbook and chapter nine of my playbook, it's about the business um, going back to the concept of do you believe in why you're in this business. So in other words, a business must have in this business structure and in the business mi- mindset of the business, uh, it must have the belief in what they're doing. You've mm-hmm. got to believe in what you're doing. Kerry Pack used to say once a month, hey, son, do you still believe in what we're doing? You, like so you, we're trying to lend money to people so they can, buy, but to, but so they can achieve their hopes and dreams. Do, does the business still believe in that? Or we so up ourselves or forgot about why we're here in the first place? Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a young fighter the other day, young Brock Jarvis, and I said to Brock, I said, mate, Brock, Brock is extremely – he's now going to be on the big stage. He's fighting in LA. He's on match room, you know, and design. So, and I said to him this week, I said, mate, this is a business. Forget about why you started boxing in the first place. Forget about, your, you know, your uncle was a – played Australian, played for St. George in the glory days and mm. wouldn't it be good to be like him, but I'm not as good as him. Forget that you're, you know, not as big as – your dad and your uncle, you know, like what the reason why I might have why you got in a box in the first place. You're in there to do business. Crew's in there to do business. Mm. That's his business. Yeah. And today I'm getting in the ring and I've got to fight you know, Harry Garside and uh, that's business. And uh, I'm not going to get emotional about it. I'm not there because I've got insecurities. Mm. I believe I've done all the preparation and I'm going to go and do my business. Yeah. And no matter what happens, what comes at me, I'm going to control it and come back with it. I mean, what do you think of that as a, as a concept? Absolutely. I think it's 100%. It's like it's when you are honing in on something and you believe something so much and you want something so much, it doesn't matter who's in your way or what's in your way, what obstacle, you will either jump over it, run through it, pivot around it, whatever you need to do to get through that, you will do. You mean? And I think, as I said, Cruise for me was a massive blockade and I just didn't have the skills or maybe the mental clarity or mental stability to be able to pivot or run through it. And as I said, I took a lot from that. There was looking back, I finally watched the fight back last week for the first time and I was a bit, I, I went a bit numb post the Olympics, just really had to gather. I was, it was, I've been chasing that since I was nine, finally get the opportunity. It's just over like that. And, and I think from the Olympics, I've just been sort of running away from it a little bit and I finally sat down last week and I watched it. And, um, it was pretty embarrassing, mate, not going to lie. I felt like I got humiliated a bit, but um, I took a lot from it. There were some things that were working in that fight. There was a lot that wasn't working, but there were some things that were working and I can evolve that and I can adapt that and I can 
grow from that experience and that that fight and and fingers crossed if I ever fight him again you mean I'll be a different fighter well that's that, that but that's a fully a business attitude that's perfect because we all have to examine what went wrong in our business we can't so I, I just can't go there I can't look at it the fact that you actually were able to put yourself in a position after a few weeks once once you know all the everything died down a bit and actually examine what you could have done better why he got on top of you you know what was it you know, that wasn't working for you, but what will work for you next time is the best way a business person should always look at the way something didn't go right. You've got to sit back, sort of remove yourself from yourself and actually view it in a proper neutral way. Mm. And then the next time you go about it, you know, hang on, this is fucking business. This is what I do. This is my job. Mm. And I'm going to go and then I'm not going to make the same mistakes as I made last time, which, by the way, is probably where his head is. When he jumped in there with you, mm. he 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 sees he looking at a young Harry. He's the <laughs> you were still the nine year old Harry, mm. or the twelve year old Harry having his first amateur fight, trying to prove something to his dad and his brothers, and you were trying to prove something to yourself on this occasion. Of course, and but now it's a different game. Yeah. Maybe is it fair to say you you have sort of mature is a shit word used, but matured in a commercial sense. About of who course. Harry Garside is. Of course. And I think the more that you can do different things and push yourself as much as possible out of your comfort zone, it's so important, the more that you figure out about yourself and what you're capable of. And, and I think for me, if I wasn't, it's like people are like, are you happy with that bronze medal? I'm like, fuck no. Like we went there for the gold and I wanted the gold. And I think if you, if you start saying to yourself, yeah, I'm, you know what, I'm happy with that bronze medal, you lower the capability of your potential. The gold medal is your potential, is any human's potential, is the highest, highest possible achievement in the boxing world. And it's like, if I start going, yeah, you know what, I'm happy with that bronze medal. You mean, I'm limiting my potential and I'll never do that. You mean, I'll train hard over the next three years. I'll adapt. I'll mature as a fighter, mature as a person, and, and I'll be different in three years' time when, when the next Olympics come around. How many pro fights can you have before, which, after which you disqualified from going to the Olympics next time around? So to be honest, and it's only three years from now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, three years. So to be honest, I think it's it's not fully clear. There was some fighters in the Olympics that from Uzbekistan who'd had a few fights and, and stuff like that. And I think it's based on what Boxing Australia allows us to do. And I'll probably turn pro now, mate. And and uh, looks like looks like I will, and looks like I'll be fighting pretty soon. And um, it's natural. I'm 24, great age. You're gonna start thinking about making money, yep, like yep. amateur boxers. You make fuck all. Yeah, totally. And and you're gonna start thinking about making money and putting food on the table and stuff like that. And you mean I just said to my manager who I signed with, I said, as long as the Olympics is open in three years' time, and I have the choice to go, if the hunger is still there, I still want the door to be open. Well, because you don't, yeah, because you don't want to disqualify yourself from fighting. In the Olympics, because you've had too many too many pro fights. Mm. What, what um, uh, someone I think someone told me I think you can't have any more than ten or something like that. Something. It's a bit of hearsay, to be honest. No one really knows the right. rules. It's very unclear, and, and I think it's based up to. It's not based up to the International Boxing Association. It's based up to Boxing Australia. What, right. What what, pre, uh, what precautions they put on on professional fighters coming back? So. Yeah. And I just said, I just said to my manager, I would just love because it's time to turn pro. It's yeah, time. Yeah. To, I've always wanted to turn pro. Well, that's the next level too, by the way. I mean, it's not the next. I don't mean it's beyond getting a gold medal, but it's the next level. It's the next um, evolution of you being a fighter. Yeah, all I'm the fighters on my leg 
besides one, have all been to the Olympics and all won medals. So, so you, on your leg, you have a whole lot of tats with um, grey fighters on there. Yeah, I didn't want to look at your legs; it was a bit weird. But, so, <laughs> but, you know, I couldn't see it on your Insta. But so, you, so who you got on there? So I've got Bernard Hopkins, who was yep. the only one who didn't go to the Olympics, taught himself how to box yep. in jail, yep. and then come out become world champion. Sugar Ray Leonard, one of the greatest of all time, golden boy. Roy Jones Jr. should have been gold medalist, yep. but got the silver. Lumachenko, two-time gold medalist. Andre Ward at the back, and then Muhammad Ali. No also. lefties in there. The, uh, Lumachenko lefty. Lumachenko, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, uh, so, so, yeah. So, who was your favourite um, Southpaw apart from Lumachenko? I really liked Penel Whitaker. He was really, yeah, really yeah, stylish yeah. and flowy. Not towards um, the end, though. Yeah, no, yeah, not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think for me, I take a bit from everyone. So. Um, there's plenty of international fighters in the amateur. I really like the amateur system. It's a, not saying the pros aren't as technical because they, they are. Canelo Alvarez, absolute yeah. superstar. Um, but I just think the amateur style is different. It's a little bit more skill based. Um, yeah, can we just can we explore that for a second? Of course. So, um, I've, I've watched a lot of pro fights. Um, I haven't watched that much amateur at, at Olympic level amateur. I can't say, but I know there is a massive difference between the, the style of fighting, and they say you know styles win fights. Um, but it, you wouldn't take an amateur style into a pro fight. Mm. So what does that mean for you in terms of if you do go and have a pro fight, I mean, what will you have to do to change your style? So yeah. maybe explain the difference anyway. Yeah, so amateur is is more fast-paced, um, like you, you three rounds, you've got nine minutes to yep. make up for as much punches as you can and, and really win the fight convincingly. So very fast-paced, very skilled. There's not many knockouts in that. You're not trying to hurt someone. It's more just like you're in there trying to beat them. And you don't stay inside much either. No. You're no. in and out. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just a lot more in and out. It's a bit more like fencing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the professional is a lot more. So you've got the time. You yeah. slow it down and it's it's a business. You're trying yeah. to market yourself yeah. more. Yeah. Crowd loves knockouts. Crowd loves when you're Andre Ward versus um, Arturo Gatti. Yeah. Uh, Great, uh, Mickey Ward, sorry, Mickey Ward versus Surrogate. Yeah, yeah, but Great just, fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? Crowd loves that. So that's more professional. They slow it down. And I think for me, going to the pros, I had a pro coach, Brian Levia. So I, people don't know this. I had a pro coach pretty much 90% of my childhood. And then, and then I went to the amateur system and the goal was the Olympics. So you have to adopt the amateur system. So a lot of people aren't backing me to turn pro and that I'll be any good, but I love that. Just add that to the arsenal of motivation and inspiration. And I'm pretty spiteful, not going to lie. So I want to prove people wrong and prove myself right. But for me, I've just got to slow my feet down, plant my feet a bit more, not so jumpy, um, and slow my feet down. Sleep. I've got a good evasive work, be able to make the punches miss and counter off those punches straight away. Yeah. Being a little bit closer to my opponent so I can actually do some damage. And sometimes, plant. you know, you've got to be prepared to get on it, put your seat. Sit on their chest and you of know, course mix it up. Yeah, make close. it dirty sometimes. Yeah, you got to get yeah. dirty, you know. Yeah. And uh, we'll look at look at Tyson Fury. I mean, like, that's the last weekend. I mean, that was unbelievable. Um, what a fight! What, what a display! Mm. Like, and he actually fought instead of boxing this time. The last time he boxed him, this time he fought with him, um, just to prove a point. I mean, it's and and that's the difference between amateur style and and pro pro style because you know you got to do whatever's in front of you at the time. And if someone wants to mix it up, you've got to be prepared to mix it up. Mm. It doesn't matter how good your, your jab is. Yeah. And that's I think the, the best well-rounded fighters aren't just one-dimensional. They can – if someone – so that's the best thing about the amateurs as well. You can't prepare for anyone. You have to prepare for everyone. Yeah. yeah. So one day you could have this long, rangy Cuban, Andy Cruz, you know, beautiful distance control. Then the next day you could have a short, stocky Russian. Like you never know what you're going to get. So you have to prepare for every style and – 
I think the best fighters are the ones that are well-rounded. Of course, they have one area that they really specialize in, whether they're defensive or aggressive. Floyd Mayweather, prime example, very much defensive. Um, but when he needed to- no, I always thought, I think, boring to watch, to be honest with you. Yeah, Excuse yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. But he's great. But don't yeah, yeah. Right. He's great at what he did. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. But when he needed to, it's like, that's why I think I love Lomachenko. It's like he can, he feels like, he feels like he's in punching distance and he's, he never gets hit. You know what I mean? Of course, Lopez made him look a bit yeah. silly, which was heartbreaking, but- yeah, um, but wrong, wrong weight division. It's all wrong. Exactly right. Exactly right. But I think for him, it feels like he's there. He's aggressive, but he's also he's an aggressive defensive fighter, which is yeah. which is amazing to see. And did you do you uh, um, we were talking about Lomachenko for a second? Do you do you do any um, enclosed sort of um, grappling stuff? I mean, uh, stand up grappling. Like Lomachenko is great at grapple. Stand up yeah. grapple. He's probably good on the floor too, for that matter. But I, I, I've just seen him do the stand up wrestling. You know, like he will push someone away and. You'll hold them down and so smart. Yeah. It's body control. It's yeah, do, do you do much of that in, in your training? A little bit, yeah. Not, not obviously in the amateur style, not heaps. You're not allowed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not allowed. Exactly right. But definitely growing up, my coach Brian Levier, he definitely instilled a bit of that in me. Turned them and yeah, yeah. move their body as long as you're in control in the clinch, especially yeah. as a left. Yeah, hand. yeah. You can move there. You can grab their elbow, move them, and there's a lot of things you can do. And I think I'm just excited to turn pro and and just see. You know, what I'm capable of. I love finding out new things about myself and I'm going to grow, I'm going to evolve, I'm going to adapt and I'm going to have to change a few things, but I'm excited. What a challenge. I saw you sparring last week. Uh, you were sparring like a pro, mm. um, but you were mixing it up hard. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you obviously had headgear and all that sort of shit. It means nothing anyway at the end of the day if you still get knit. But, but um, and I thought to myself, wow, that's a big transition already. I mean, so what you're now telling me though is you've been trained by pro pro trainers anyway in the past. So it's not it's not going to be that big a leap for you. No, and I think just being in the sport for so long, yeah. like I know I'm 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 not going to piss my own pocket, but I'm I'm smart. I know I'm switched on. I know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I'm aware that there's almost two different styles, almost two different sports and um and I can see the dif- the difference and and I know where I need where I lack and where, I think that's so important. You need to know what your strengths are. You also need to know what your weaknesses are. And you need to play to your strengths. But you also need to try and learn and, and adapt your weaknesses. So here you are going into pros like to be a professional. Um that means you could, it's a it's still a business, but it's a lot more hanging off it as a business now. Um you you build a team around you, you know, you build like everyone does in business, you build, you know, your specialists and you Blokes to train and food people and all that sort of stuff, and you've got to get your environment where you train, your you know your gym and all that sort of stuff, get that all sorted. Um, and then, uh, but the thing about the fight game is to make a quid out of it. You don't want to be, you know, t- just mm. a, a prize fighter for Ru- Rudy Hill, um, you know, because I mean yeah, that's okay for to, but you, the game here is to you to get ranked. So you know you want to be ranked in a certain division so you get a shot at the top line where the big money is, you know, mm. and and the careers are. Um, and that's a patience game. <laughs> you come across to me as someone who's really not ambitious as a shit word, um, but keen to get on with it. Mm. And, you know, you just come back from the Olympics, for God's sake, and, you, you know, you, you, you won a medal. How do you control your patience? Uh, you know, like, like you've got to work your way into top 10 mm. into yeah, – and then and by the way, you've got to convince the IBF or WBO or WBA, WBC, whatever it is, IBF, that, that – and they're all different. Please rank me top ten, but you got to get through a whole lot of work. You got to go through a whole lot of fights to get there. Yeah, before you get a, a chance at it, they're not going to say, "Oh, yeah, okay, Harry Garcia is a bronze medalist." When we put him up against uh, whoever, you know, the lightweight division, you know, Lomachenko, <laughs> you're not going to get that. Where the dollars are. Yeah, where do you get the patience from, and how do you 
How do you now rebuild your? This is now not about sixteen weeks. This is now about a few years. Mm. Um, I think the one of the biggest problems with maybe my generation or the younger generation is is the fact that we want these quick fixes. We want these easy like cryptocurrency or mm. these things going to get money instantly. You know what I mean? And I think just realizing that things, good things, great things take time. Realizing that I failed to make the Olympics on five different occasions, but still showing up every single day. I lost 10 out of my first 18 fights, was not successful for a long time. And I think it's going to be, I'm not saying I'm going to lose in the process, I'm not, but like it's going to be now, it's just realizing I'm 24, I've got time. I've got time on my side and I can take my time. Of course, it's going to be frustrating at times. We often get impatient, but- it's gonna take five. It's gonna maybe close to thirty before before I'm hitting that that big time. And but you've got to deal with sponsors. You, you're gonna to have to you know, you're gonna to to talk the money game. You, yeah, I mean, that, that's it's a business. It's a different thing. It's yeah. altogether different thing. Um, and you have to keep those people happy. I mean, you have to do these sorts of things. You have to get on Instagram. You have to play the marketing game too. Yeah. I mean, and but I don't reckon a lot of the fighters do a good job of that here in Australia. I mean, George is pretty good. I mean, he has a lot of followers and sort of you know hams it not done ham it up, but he. he Put a lot of content out, mm. um, and Tim's pretty good at it too. But Tim's got a whole machine sitting behind him, like that, that place. Mm. I mean, Tim's been on the show. Tim's like <laughs> that place is a machine, like the whole thing. Yeah. Um, are you ready for that? Of course, and yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. It's, like what a what an opportunity. It's going to take time for sure, but I think it's just realizing that I'm in a, I'm in this professional game for two things to win world titles because I'm ambitious and I want to see how far I can go and put Australia on a map. I'm here to make money. Yeah. You know, and just realizing that in the next six years, you don't have to win world titles straight away, yeah. but you can still market yourself really well over the next six years, or I can mark myself really well if I'm good and, you know, talk well and, and just try and I'm just try and be who I am and authentic, but also trying to put a good light on the sport and, and do things outside of boxing as well. I think that's what I'm going to focus on the next the next six years. And then hopefully around 30, give or take one or two years, you mean I'm fighting for world titles. You've done all the things that to actual good fighters end up happening, having. Um, but is there something about Harry that's going to make him more interesting? And do you sit down and think, well, shit, you know, because I know I saw in the, was it the Complex Games? The Olympics, you, you, you paint your fingernails or you've done some stuff. You stand for things that other fighters wouldn't even think about. For sure, like I'm, I'm, I'm very switched on, and after, and I know by painting my nails, I was going to paint me in a certain, certain light for yep. sure. But I am very passionate about the things that I'm passionate about, the social cause that I care about. I really, genuinely care about our young people. The Reach Foundation was a foundation that entered my life when I was 16, and they changed my life. And and I want to give that back to some young people. I feel like our young people are probably struggling more than anyone at the moment due to COVID and other things. The difference. Maybe, maybe not difference, but the thing that makes me a little bit more unique more so is, is the fact that I'm no different to any other person that walks down the street. I don't ever put myself up on this pedestal. I don't, and I, and, and I love the fact that, and I'll always do this. I'll make money. I'll be world champion and I'll still catch the, catch the train, catch the bus. I'll always try my best because I'm no different to any other person. And I hate those people who put themselves up on this little pedestal. And it's just like, like we're all human at the end of the day. And I love social connection and I love talking to people. And I love, I remember, I remember it so clearly going to the the basketball. I used to love my basketball, Andrew Gaze. And you mean seeing him and, hey, can you sign my shirt? I remember that feeling. And I, seeing a young person do that to me now, it's like, I still feel like that kid. Um, and, and I always want to have that. And I think I will. I'm sure all the other fighters stand for different things, but mm. like if Harry Garso can stand for something that's really important, 
Yeah, I'm just, I'm just me personally, mate. I'm just a massive one on like, I think I've got it written on my drink bottle. Curiosity is one of been one of the biggest things that I've realized over the past two years is having curiosity. I think by having it, it takes the judgment away from people. And I've always positioned myself as a fence sitter. Obviously, having a mum who was spiritual and then a dad who was very old fashioned. It's made me a bit more of a fence sitter. I'm able to see both left and right views or like different views. I'm able to see it and I'm able to empathize with both sides. Like I don't really pick a side. I love that about myself. And I think that comes down to being curious. I'm curious about myself and why am I doing things? Why in an argument with my partner do I react like this? I'm just being curious and taking the judgment away from myself. And I think when you bring curiosity into a situation, you don't have to pick a side. You can be, you can just be and think whatever you want. That's okay. Just don't push it on anyone else and that that's fine. What's your actual purpose to me as a consumer of your product? What do you think it is that you give to me? I want to give people, this sounds so cliche and a little bit cringe, but I want to give people hope, like simple as that. And I want to, I want to give what Grant Hackett gave me in 2007, inspiration, motivation to go on this lifelong journey to achieve greatness at the Olympics. Like I want to give people hope to like do more with their life, be motivated, jump up out of bed, set a goal, no matter, even if it's a physical feat, whatever it is, I want people to achieve greatness and realize their full potential. You're sort of saying more openly to everybody, look, you know, I'll, there is a way to achieve great things if you want to put your time and effort into it. And it takes time. That's all it is. Time and effort and patience. Patience. And the yeah. right people around you, not yeah. shit people around you, the right people around you. And uh, and that, that's a big part of it. Having for me anyway, I know it is having the right people. Because if I know if I got the wrong, if I'm hanging out with the wrong people, I'm doing the wrong fucking thing. What's that saying? It's like you surround yourself with five uh, rich people, you become the six. You surround yourself with five idiots, you become the six. Yeah, so correct. You're a product of your environment. And my old mum used to say, my late mum used to say, uh, um, "Show me your friends, and I'll tell you who you are." And um, and, and, and there were periods in my life where you know that that applied completely correctly, and I didn't have good outcomes. And then there were periods in my life where the opposite applied and I had the be- my best outcomes. So my mother could say it to as much as I wanted, but at the end of the day, the thing that I learned from was what I saw, not what I heard. I would wake up every single day. My dad wouldn't be there. You mean I'd come home after school? Dad's still, still there. Work. He's at work. Yeah. You mean I saw that every single day. And then I also saw my mum wake up every morning getting us kids ready for school um, while she was also getting ready for work herself, you know what I mean? And then after school, driving us to and from sport while also cooking dinner. Like that's what I saw growing up. And I'm so grateful that I saw that. I've got two of the hardest working parents ever. And no matter what I put my mind into, because of my parents, like I will be successful because I'm a hard worker. They, what they say is monkey see, monkey do. Well, one of the things I, I just want to say in conclusion, I mean, apart from your great achievements, apart from your great ambitions to achieve again, and um, and 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 also the your articulation, the way you articulate yourself. You know, you should be very proud. Your parents should be really proud of themselves. But you know, you should be proud of yourself, mate. One of the things I think that, that really stands out to me, though, is the fact that you understand your shortcomings. Well, not shortcomings. You understand things that you use as tools to make you better. You know, maybe a bit of insecurity and all those sorts of things. But and you're prepared to talk about it. It's a big deal. It's actually refreshing. That's the sort of thing that should give people hope, I think, apart from the fact that you achieve something in the, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in, the, in the square ring. But uh, um, it's very refreshing for a young man of 24 years of age to be able to reflect 
on the things that he saw growing up that drive him to become the best he can. Harry Garside, congratulations and thanks very much, mate. Mate, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Jonathan Leondis. This is a mentored podcast. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.